So we are continuing uh, in our study of the book of Joel. And uh, if you haven't uh, been, uh, been able to be with us, I want to invite you to go back and to, uh, to listen to the messages of coming up through today and, uh, and hear what Joel is saying by the prompting of the Lord. Uh, Joel is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was given word of, from the Lord to give to the people of Judah. And it's been, uh, some people have felt that this is heavy, and at times as we're preparing, we can feel that this is heavy. Uh, today is going to be a shift that I believe that is, um, that I'm confident that God's going to, uh, to speak to us uh, through the shifting and how he would have us to also uh, experiencing a shifting and transition in our lives. Uh, so I just want to back up uh, just a few weeks ago when Phil uh, led us off in this first section of Joel chapter 1, the first 12 verses. He shared about how Joel is an invitation. Uh, that it's a calling to God, and it's not just in the first part of the, of the book, but it's throughout the entire book. It's an invitation to God. And he, he led us in saying, make sure that you're not focusing on the things that, that are going to vanish. Because we can get so caught up in the things that we see, but they're just for time. They're not for eternity. That the difficult things that we're going, to, going through, as, as, although they can seem like they're lasting forever, they're temporal. And they're meant to be a tool that, that God wants to use in our lives to bring change in us and to draw us closer to him. And that brings us to this place, the valley of decision. It's going to come up in Joel chapter 3, verse 14. But throughout the book, we're seeing uh, the valley of decision, that where we are in life is a place of decision, of, of making uh, a choice to go to the right or to the left, and, and what would God have us to do in each place. Uh, then the next week, in the last portion of uh, Joel chapter 1, we looked at, uh, at a response, a call to a respond to the difficulties of life. And that was to feel, allowed, allow yourself to experience the hurt of the present. Uh, don't neglect that. We need to allow ourselves to feel. And then we need to move forward as, as we're called to a fast. And a fast is denying ourselves, setting ourselves aside so that God can work the process in us that he would have us to, to experience. And it's not that we get stuck. we got to be careful not to get stuck in the feeling, not to get stuck in the fasting, because they're all a process to the destination. And the destination is God, that we would find him more fully and experience his life more deeply. Then last week, uh, Ben brought to us this, the message from the first part of uh, Joel chapter 2. And the focus there was revelation. Revelation. So he told us about or share with us, and I love the way he unwrapped this, that God led him to show us the plot twist that were in those first, uh, first 17 verses of chapter 2. And when the, so the first chapter was about locusts, literal locusts coming to a land and, and bringing destruction to the land. The second chapter, it, it looks like those locusts are a metaphor for an, actually an army coming against the people of God and surprise the Lord is at the head of the army. What a revelation that was, that it was actually the Lord that was leading this but what was the call then? The call was to allow our hearts to be broken and allow ourselves to experience the change that God was desiring to bring. So it was a revelation of God that, that God was bringing this trial, but it was for the purpose of us rending our hearts that we would allow ourselves to be broken on the inside so that he can do the work that he desires in us and through us. So it also brought that revelation of who God is and referred back to Exodus where the declaration of God's graciousness, of his compassion. It's not just that he was leading that army, but he, it brought a full, fuller revelation of him so that the people of God could trust him more fully. And then he concluded the message by calling us, allowing the scripture to lead us to, to the call to understand that we're first responders. 
that God would have us to reach out to those that are, that are headed for destruction. And I don't know about you, but like through this week, I've really uh, felt the Holy Spirit bring conviction and checks in me. Because so many times, again, we can stand, we're people of God, we follow God, and we could say, the Lord is on our side, and I so appreciate the challenge that Ben brought to us. Are we on the Lord's side? Because sometimes in righteousness, we can become self-righteous. And God would have us to seek his heart, seek his mind. Do we speak the truth? Yes, but we must speak the truth in love. And that, the, the story that he gave about the van heading for the cliff, what do we do? Do we pick up stones and throw it at the van? Or do we, are we willing to put ourselves literally on the line in front of the van and cry out? Just that, that word of warning and allow God's compassion to flow through us. These are transformational words that God has bring, been bringing to us through some very difficult passages. Uh, and uh, the, last, uh, the last verse um, that was shared last week, uh, actually, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going to get back to that, that in a second, but what I, wanna, what I want us to look at now is what's, what's happening as we step into this next passage is an incredibly beautiful shift. Okay, we've been looking for three weeks at devastation, at destruction, at these hard things that are coming against, and today is a day of relief and of excitement. So, you know, as Phil said the first week, uh, if you were looking for something, a scripture to put on your wall, you probably haven't found it yet. Today, I think you will. Okay, there are some verses in here that, uh, that we're going to look at that, uh, that you can post on your wall at home and be encouraged um, so let's look at, look at the scripture. We're going to read down through the passage. If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I would encourage you to turn to them. We're going to read through the entirety of the passage. It's not many verses, but we're going to be referring back often. So I would just encourage you to have your scriptures open in front of you. So Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness, wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree, the, the vine, yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty, plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again Will my people be shamed? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are God and there is none like you. God, we thank you that you have given us the gift of your word and your word is powerful. God, we thank you that it will accomplish what it was sent to do. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us now to yield our hearts, God, our minds, our ears, 
uh, our eyes to see and to behold you, Lord, and the truth that you're desiring to speak to us. God, I thank you that this wasn't just a truth that was spoken almost 3,000 years ago, but God, it's a truth that is uh, clear and present for today and for our lives. And so God, I pray that you would lead and guide me as I share and allow your spirit, Lord, to open up each heart and each life to receive your truth and bring change in our lives as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as I've already done the review, we've looked at these three um, three focus words through these first three sections of Scripture. And again, it was invitation, destination, and revelation. And when I looked at today's passage, the first thought I thought right away, the word for today is restoration. Uh, it's clearly in the passage, and restoration is uh, a great word of hope. And, uh, you know, we think back to like Psalm 51 where uh, David, after an extremely trying time that he actually brought on himself, he, he cried out, restore to me the joy of of your salvation, and, and that restoration is such an important part in our lives, to restore, it's to bring back what was lost. But then as I continued to study, I really felt that God led me very clearly to, a, to another word to focus on as we look at this passage, and that word is transformation. Transformation. Uh, transformation is to be made from something into something else. So when we look at the transformation in this passage, we're going to see how God wants to, to lead us through the difficult times of our lives into a different place, not ex- just externally. We see the external here, but we're also going to see that in this passage is showing us how, us how we can be made different as we walk through these processes. Um, now there's a quote that I'm going to begin with, and um, it's from the great theologian Jim Carrey. Okay, so um, I have used this quote before, and it was, it was incredible. I, I, had, I had shared this quote a number of years ago, and, and just a couple weeks later, I think, was down uh, visiting Grace Timonium, and the same quote was used. But I felt drawn to this today. Uh, Jim Carrey, as you know, actor, comedian, um, known for those serious dramas like Dumb and Dumber and um, uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, and then he did some other things, Truman Show. He's done a lot of things, but a very, very well-known person, very famous actor, but a quote that he, that he said that has, honestly, I know been used in many churches is this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of, dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And I've confirmed this. I did a lot of research online, and, and this is truly something that he has said that's been quoted many times. And um, this is a guy speaking from experience. But I want you to know a little bit more about his experience. Um, he was born in Ontario, Canada, and, and his family went through very difficult times. His, his dad lost his job. They became homeless as a family and literally were living in a minivan parked on a relative's lawn for a time. Uh, he, was, he needed to drop out of high school. Uh, later got his GED, but he dropped out of high school so he could work as a janitor to help provide for his family. This is the same Jim Carrey. <laughs> Um, but those are some of the things that he went through. So, so he had lost a lot. And when we look at restoration, he not only was restored just to basic needs, but he obviously has been restored to much more. But he's learned a lot in his journey. And I read uh, quite a few quotes uh, from Jim Carrey. I just want to share one other one. He said this. He said, I don't think human beings learn anything without desperation. Desperation is a necessary ingredient to learning anything or creating anything, Period. But he learned that there's value in hardship. He learned that going through difficult times can bring change in your life that other things cannot bring. And, and he's really 
uh, is very different uh, than many that are in his, his, um, in his career and in his lifestyle. In fact, more recently, he's, he's basically made the made this statement that I, I have enough, I've done enough, I'm good. And it's a possibility that he's retired. Um, the, the thing is that he's had a very spiritual journey, and you may wonder, well, has he found Christ? Uh, there was, uh, again, I've done some searching, and there was one, one place where he did make a statement, I'm a Christian, but he also said in the same, same statement, I'm a Buddhist and I'm a Muslim, I'm whatever you want me to be. So, I mean, it's, it's not, he's discovering, he's on a process to discover truth. But one thing I, I want to just really celebrate that I don't know where he's at right now with God. But he is searching for something spiritual because he knows that this isn't going to bring it. You're not going to find satisfaction. That's what he's saying here. I've, I've done it, I've experienced it, and I know, I can tell you. I wish you could walk my my walk in my shoes so you could realize it's not here. So, so that, that leads us to what we're talking about because it's not, again, restoration is bringing back something that was missing, transformation being changed when it's brought back. You know, and, and there's something that God works in us that he can only work in us through the difficult times. We don't like it, but it's true. So we want to look at these first three verses of the passage uh, today. When we started, um, started today, it, it was... Then the Lord, then the Lord. Can you just let those three words just settle upon you? Then the Lord. We're looking back at, at again, this prophecy and what, what God was speaking through Joel, but can you see too in your life? So when you look back there, we're looking at locusts, we're looking at armies, we're looking at then a call to repent and to allow your heart to be broken, and, and then we come to this, then the Lord. There's a shift. Do you see it? What was it shifting from? Verse 17 in Joel 2 said this, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord. Do you see what's happened? Is, is that there's, there's a shift, but it's because of, of, of a response to the difficult times. It's because of how they were allowing God to move in their lives in the midst of the difficulties. So then the Lord, it could be said any time, all the time. We know that then the Lord, that God is always working. Then the Lord, God is always intervening. God is always overseeing. We've sung about his sovereignty and his rule. Life is continually then the Lord, but there are places in our lives where it becomes very clear that we need to walk in a step that we discover the then the Lord that God is desiring to bring into our lives. Verse 18 says this, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. Okay, does that mean that previously he hadn't been jealous for the land and hadn't taken pity on his people? I don't believe that's true. We talk about the character of God, the nature of God. But then the Lord is speaking of a time when his heart is revealed through specific actions. And how can we posture ourselves in such a way that we experience the then the Lord in our lives that he is desiring? So restoration is good. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and cry out for restoration. Uh, restoration can be good and it can be a very godly thing. But when we get so caught up in I've lost my stuff, I want my stuff, if we stay on that level, we're missing a transformation that God wants to do in the midst of our stuff shifting. Okay? If our focus is on getting back the stuff, we're going to miss it. 
But if we focus on our God and we say, God, do what you want to do, we can be changed, we can be transformed. So the first thing we'd like to look at together in this passage is this, that the process is the Lord's. The process is the Lord's. Now this is something that I, I, I even read it just within the last couple of days in devotional and, and I just keep hearing it. It's even been said this morning during a worship is that, um, is, is that God is over all things. And it's hard for us to understand sometimes, but like even in our difficulties and the struggles that we face, where we can be that we don't want to be, God is over all. That God even directs those things. Does he cause, some, cause those things? At times he does. He was leading that army. Remember that we looked at. But other times he allows those things. But he's still God. He's still sovereign all, over all. And he is, um, he is allowing things to touch our lives so that we can be drawn to him. And what it brings us to, we talked about this, is that when you find yourself in these difficult times of life, they're a place of, a place of decision. Now, truly, even when we're in good times, we're in a place of decision. The valley can be a time of trouble and it can be a time of rest. It can mean, it can mean different things. But often troubles, again, bring us to this place of, of, of having this opportunity to step into the processes of God. So prior to this passage, again, as Ben had spoken from last week, when we look at the process, that when we're, when we're in this time of trial and tribulation, things coming against us, and even, even finding these revelations that, wow, when I thought I was for God, I've actually been against God. My pride has put me in opposition to God. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So when these things are being brought to my to revelation of who God is and who I am, then we have this opportunity to turn and to repent, to to you know, go through that process of, of allowing God to break our hearts. And I, I love that, how Ben said it's like, like, like if we could just do this, like we would, but the thing is if I posture myself and say, God, I'm here, give him a chance. He will, he will break your heart if you cry out and say, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. When we declare, God, you are in control, I'm gonna trust you. Do what you desire. This is the process that when we face the difficulties, that we, we get on our knees, we cry out to the Lord, and we say, God, God, I just need you. I acknowledge who you are. I acknowledge who I am. And Lord, I want to be used for your purposes. I want to be changed in a way that will bring you glory and bring you honor. This is the process that the Lord uses. Now, the thing is, is that when, I think whenever we're honest with ourselves, we realize we're all broken, Right? We're, you know, even though we may have come a long way from where we were, praise be to God, we're still broken people. The thing is, is when we look at our brokenness, uh, we want it fixed without pain. And we laugh because we know it's true. God fixed me, but don't let it hurt. You know, hit me over the head with a hammer, give me anesthesia, do something so that I don't, I don't have to feel the fix but yet it is, it is going through the process of pain that is often the necessary steps that God knows we need in order to be transformed. And Jesus did not make himself exempt from that. So when we think, you know, God, why are you being so hard on me? Read about Jesus. We realize that Jesus, God in flesh, did not make him ex- ex- his ex- himself exempt from pain, but he stepped into pain as a model of what we need to do. Hebrews chapter 12, we've often gone to this verse and I honestly don't feel like I can go to it enough. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning with verse five says this. Right over Hebrews says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement, this word of encouragement that addresses you 
as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That the father is treating us as the children that we are and it's a shaping, it's a, it, it's a dis- disciplining. Disciplining is discipleship, being made in, into a disciple. But here's the kicker, verse seven. Endure hardship as discipline. That's a choice. Will I endure hardship as discipline? Will I allow it to, to will I allow hardship to be something that God can use to shape my life? This is the Lord's process. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? And then in verse 11, he says this: No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And an Old Testament example that uh, we often go to, and I, I, I've just, as many times as I've gone to this, it just, it, it breathes fresh life and encouragement to me. When we look at the life of Joseph in Genesis, that he was a young man who had the favor of his father, but the disfavor of his brothers. And it led to him being sold as a slave but he was faithful, and yet even when he was faithful, he was wrongly accused and thrown into prison. These are hardships, real hardships, favored of, of his father, and yet now in prison and forgotten. And then told that he would be remembered, and then forgotten. But God exalted him. God brought him to a place of power. God gave him favor with Pharaoh. And he was used as an instrument to spare then his own people and the people of, of Egypt. But look at that process. When he was restored from prison, when he was given place of provision and of freedom, okay, that was a restoration. Had he not been transformed in the process, that place of power would have been destructive. He was put in a place where he could have just wiped out his brothers. He played with them a little bit, but I think it was in a good way. But the thing is, is that, that had he not been transformed, restoration could have been dangerous. But he was seeking God in every step. He was saying, God, in this place, what do you want to change in my life? How do you want to form me? How do you want to shape me? And beauty comes out of that. So our best response to life in times that are difficult or in times that are good is to, be, to follow the process of God. Be repeatedly broken before God. Confess your need of God. Cry out to him. Understand that there's still things that need to be fixed regardless of how far you've come. And that you, you can then move into this place of partnership with him, following his process and leading you into times of abundance. So then the Lord, as we go on in this passage, then the Lord, what do we see? As we look through this passage, we're going to see something else. And it's this, that the timing is the Lord. Not just the process is the Lord's, but the timing is the Lord's. God, when are you going to do this? The pause was purposeful. Because a pause here of just a few seconds is uncomfortable. What about when that pause in my life is days and weeks and sometimes years? The timing is the Lord's. Remember, he's supreme. He's over all. I don't even like to say this. (laughs) Because this is painful. It's confusing. It challenges our faith. Um, 
But I have to say this. So one of the blessings of being able to prepare messages is that you see like as God is depositing things in your heart and your mind that they start showing you things all over. So I had the opportunity right before the rain. We got rain yesterday. Um, but I was, uh, I was trimming the yard and uh, as I'm going around the house, I'm looking at projects that need to be done. And then all, all of a sudden I realized God gave me this revelation. The timing is the Lord's. God, I'm more like you in some ways than what I realized. And it reminded me of a shirt that I saw when we were in the store a little while back, and I took a picture of it. (laughs) If a man says he will fix it, he will. There's no need to remind him every six months. And I thought, God, I'm more like you than what I realized. It's like his timing and my timing is just like, um, there's this delay. And I want to tell you, when, when I saw that shirt, okay, I took a picture, but... I was both courageous and wise. Yes, I showed Joel the shirt, and I was wise in that I did not buy the shirt, okay? <laughs> and as I was thinking about this, so, so I saw some a similarity between God and myself, you know, timing that's hard to figure out, okay? But I also saw something else. Um, I saw something of God-likeness in Joel because she responds to this with patience. <laughs> she truly does. She's absolutely amazing. Uh, in many ways, but especially in that way. But that's the thing is like, so, so it brings us back to God. So the timing is the Lord's, like his time. And we're gonna, I'm going to go down through this passage. That's why I was encourage you, encouraging you to, uh, to have this open before you because I'm just going to pull out segments of Scripture. But I want you to look at the timing through this passage. Like sometimes it's pointing to things that are now. Sometimes things that, that are going to be. Uh, sometimes things that honestly are not going to be for quite a while, and there's some things that are even established, they're already done. So we're looking at timing as we go down through this. Uh, so in verse 19, it says, I am sending, okay, that timing, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil. So that is, that could be like right now I'm sending, or it's on the way, okay? So do you check the tracking online, or, you know, so I am sending. Um, then in verse 19, also it says, never again. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Okay, that, there's, there's still scorn to the nations. So that's pointing to something future, okay, that has not yet happened. Uh, verse 20, I will drive. Okay, so that seems like it's something coming. Didn't say exactly when. I will drive the northern horde far from you. Um, then verse 20, surely he has done. He has done that something, it is finished. It is, it is already complete. He has done great things. 21, look at the timing. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. That's a now, now time. The instruction for now. And what's that followed up with? Surely the Lord has done great things. We sang it today. You know, God, you've done great things and and we're gonna rejoice. So we've actually responded to this verse. Verse 22, the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. Sounds like it's something that's happening. It's in process. Um, They are bearing their fruit. Verse 23, be glad. That's a now. It's saying, Right now, regardless of whether it's coming or has been, will come, be, be glad. That's a now. Rejoice in the Lord. So again, that's repeating what was back in verse 21. For he has given the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you. So these are has given and he sends. It's an ongoing, abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors, floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow. So these are timing things. It's coming. It's a promise. may not see it yet, but, but, but God's saying it. When God says it, it's true. It's going to happen, okay? So again, it's these looking forward. Verse 25, I will repay. I will repay. 
you for the years the locusts have eaten. Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat. You will praise, okay? All these things, again, they're pointing. Then we have two more never agains of the same statement. Never again will my people be ashamed. And then verse 27, then you will know. Then you will know that I am God in Israel, that I am the Lord your God. So in this prophecy, you know, what is Joel, what is God saying through the prophet Joel? Is he saying like, like it's right now? Is he saying it's coming? Is he saying it's past, it's already been accomplished? Is he pointing way to the future? Yes. All the above. Correct. So here's the thing. Will we let God do his thing in his time? Because so often, and this is, this is normal, it's understandable, because we are people of flesh. So many times we get frustrated with this timing. It's like, God, you said this, you said this. Okay? If God said it, which he did, it's true. It will come to be. Can you rest in his time? And this is where we're stretched. Because we talked about the day of the Lord is not a day. Okay? The day of the Lord is a period of time. When we look at restoration, when we look at What's happening here, it too talks about seasons. It talks about periods of time. So how does this impact us? I can fight constantly with God saying, why not now? You said this. But again, we need to understand that prophecy has fulfillment at different times. So will I fight the timing or will I surrender to the fact that the timing is the Lord's and I can trust him? And that, need, that, that requires transformation. I've got to do some shifting. The, the frustrations that are in my mind, in my heart, and the practical things that are fight in my life can overwhelm me. But when I surrender to the process being the Lord's, the timing being the Lord's, then what he can do is actually, in the waiting, he can help me to have hope in him. He can help me to trust him, to grow in faith. Faith means I don't have it yet but yet the word of God builds my faith so I can trust his word. And even though I don't see it, even though I'm not experiencing it, God said it. So I can, I can accept what he even said. It's done. Even if it isn't fulfilled yet, it is done. It's an accomplished thing because God said it. And that's where, it's, that's a transformation. And, and do we realize like what freedom we can have when we learn to rest in the Lord's timing? Now, even as I say that, it's like, Ouch. It's painful because there's unknown in it. So when we don't know the exact timing of when God is going to fulfill his word, we rest on the person of God and that he is trustworthy. So it focuses me, focus, focuses me, on, me more on him than on the situation and gives me hope and faith in the midst of the situation. I know that the victory's coming. I know that it's God's. And as I continue to be on his side, I know that I have victory in Christ. So now, I can see the bigger picture. And the practical applications of my life is that when we face death, do we grieve? Absolutely. But we don't just grieve. We don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have a confidence. Even though we don't see it with our eyes yet, we know that for those that are in Christ that they've stepped into the presence of God and they are doing great so we can have the grieving and rejoicing together. When we look at sickness, we struggle with it, and there's the practical things. There's so many of you and family members and friends that, that go through the struggles of, of illness. It's, it's part of being in this broken world. We have broken bodies. 
Do we hurt? Do we seek healing? Do we pray for healing? Absolutely yes. And we, we settle for those that are in Christ. We have a confidence that we will be healed. And whether we see it in this physical body, in this present circumstance or not, we have a confidence that we are, we are going to receive a final healing that is forever. Any healing that we receive now, we rejoice and we thank God for, but it's only a healing for time. We have the guarantee of a healing for eternity. When we look at the, the issues of provision, it's like I'm lacking. Like, God, I don't know how this is going to be met. Okay, we hurt with that, but we trust the timing of God. It's like, God, I'm confident that you will provide. Your word says that you will provide. So, Lord, I just want to be obedient in what to do next, I want to, and I want to be confident that you will provide because when I am confident and I surrender my life so that you are my shepherd, I lack nothing, and he will provide. In relationships, we can be so, um, this can be so overwhelming because we desire for reconciliation. We desire for relationships that aren't there yet. We desire for these things, and, and they're good because God created us for relationship. But in the process of us, of us not seeing things fulfilled yet, we have that call and the opportunity to grow in our relationship with God where, again, he becomes more and more important. I depend on him more and more. And I can trust that he is working, that he is working for my good and for his glory. So Joel gives this declaration, therefore, be glad and rejoice. The New Testament, we're told to do it always, constantly. Rejoice continually. And the thing is, is that that means all the time. Uh, there's a song that was brought to our attention as far as the prayer team by our dear sister Selena, who is now rejoicing with the Lord in heaven. The song is called Before, and it's sung, it might have been sung by other people, but uh, Jason Crabb sang this, and, and I had not heard of it, but it became, I just embraced it. I listened to it over and over and over again. He says this, that... It's easy to bless you, talking to the Lord, it's easy to bless you when the valley's behind me. It's easy to trust you when my world is not unwinding. But this is the darkest midnight that my soul has ever seen. So I will stand my ground, lift my hands to you and sing before the prayer is answered, before the battle's won, before this trial is over, before the healing comes, I will choose to trust you. I will bless you, Lord. I won't wait to praise you after. I'll praise you before. And this song is attached to my heart because it's poured from the heart of our sister. She didn't wait for healing to praise the Lord. She chose before. That's transformation, trusting the timing to the Lord. And you know what? Now she's rejoicing after. She has been healed. She has been totally set free. Read one more verse. In the lonely place of silence where the waiting gets so old, I found the flame of worship keeps my heart from growing cold. You've always been so faithful when I can't do my part, even in my worn out weakness, nothing changes who you are. Can we rejoice? Can we be glad as we wait on the Lord's timing, knowing that he is faithful, that his word is true? God promised in this passage that we just looked at to bring the early and the latter rain. So let's rejoice. So the, the process is the Lord's. The timing is the Lord's. But guess what? Friends, the blessing is ours. It's guaranteed. We can have hope because God has promised these things. 
And he said in verse 23, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. He promises to restore both the rains. And these rains that are being referred to is in, in, the land at that, in that, that land there were two rains. It was the autumn and the spring rains. The, the former and the latter rains, and they needed both. They were totally dependent on provision of God, rain from heaven. And, and this is what he's saying. This is, what, that's, this is what is coming. There's a blessing that is yours. Now, yesterday when uh, I finished the lawn before the downpour, um, so thankful, and I was thankful for the downpour. And as I was looking at that rain, I was thinking, you know what, like, okay, when we were in Bethany Beach a few weeks ago, that's all, it seemed like it's all it did, it rained. We didn't want the rain, okay? But when you've been in the dry, you want the rain. When, you, when there's been a lack, you want the rain. And storms can be that way in our lives. Like we can, you know, we can make the choice of, of like what's good and what's bad. But, but, God, but God says, I'm going to provide what is good and what is needed. I'm going to give you the rain that you need. And what else is he going to do? He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. In verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have, have eaten. Does that mean he's going to give us back time? No, he's going to give us back fruit. That repayment, Charles Spurgeon says this, the meaning of the restoration of the years must be the restoration of those fruits and of those harvests which the locusts consumed. You cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourn. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. God restores what was lost he, he brings the fruit that was lost from the past. What a promise. What a blessing that he gives to us. And then in verse 26, he says, you have plenty to eat until you're full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel and I am your, the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. He's pointing to the future. There's a time when his victory that now exists, yet is not manifested, will be manifested. And there will be a time where we never again, we be shamed. Never again, there is this promise, that what we look forward to. But mixed in with this, I want, want you to hear verse 27, you will know that I am in Israel, that I am your God and there is no other. I am your God and there is no other. He's talking about this relationship, the identity that we have as his children. That this is the ultimate blessing that we have is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And, and again, this is pointing forward to something that is beautiful beyond what we can imagine. So the love story that began in Genesis 1 as God created man and continues throughout all of scripture, is going to reach its culmination. I love this as we were talking as pastors. We're going to see the culmination of this incredible story. And it's, and it's written for us. And it's in Revelation. Revelation, the beginning of, t- of 21 and the beginning of 22. I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning of 21. But this is the promise that was given to John, the apostle. 
John said this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can I say that again? So this is stuff that we're called to experience now in this process of transformation. But then that day, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Who was, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God. They will be my children. This is the hope, the confidence that we have when we enter into that never again. Um, I'm going to ask Trish Jaworski to come up now, and uh, she's going to read a short life story, just a little glimpse of a story. And um, this is a letter that her brother, William Presley, um, sent to me through her. And um, her brother is in prison, and he's going to tell a little bit of that story in this letter. But what was amazing is when I read this letter, I was blown away at how this story of William's life connects to this message that we've been looking at. So, um, Trish, thank you so much for being willing to read this. Let me get your mic, and then we'll have you read it for us. Dear Pastor, when I come home, I would love to one day become a part of the Grace family. I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I've been incarcerated since 1997. I had an awful drug habit, and because of it, I did a lot of bad things. When I received the life sentence in 1998, I was so angry at myself, mostly because of all the things I had done. Coming from a really good, hard-working family, I know I was such an embarrassment to them. So I carried a lot of guilt around for a lot of years, and even though I was in prison, not much changed in my life. Every day was pretty much the same as the one before it. I noticed many guys in here who would start going to church soon as they were locked up, and I always thought they were weak, I'd think and say things to myself like, I'm never going to be like that. I'm too tough for that. I did a lot of segregation for various things. One time for a minor infraction, I was put in the segregation unit. Little did I know this time was going to change my life forever. Not too long after I was there, I started feeling so weird. To this day, I still can't quite explain the feeling, kind of like a longing. I had never read the Bible, but on that night, November 8, 2015, I yelled loud as I could, if anyone had a Bible that I could read. Minutes later, a small pocket New Testament 
was slid under my door. I read it for two days straight. I didn't understand all I was reading, but I did understand that Jesus loved me. He gave his life for me, and I could be forgiven for every bad thing I'd ever done. I knew right then I wanted that. (laughs) I couldn't believe that I was crying and how much I cried while I read these stories in this Bible. On November 10th, 2015, I got down on my knees and I cried to the Lord and I poured out my heart and soul and confessed everything I'd ever done that I could think of and I asked God to forgive me. I turned from my sins and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And as I wept there down on the floor, everything just seemed to go away. The weight was gone. And when I stood up, I was a new man. I was born again, a child of God. When I came off the segregation unit, I immediately started going to church. I was baptized on February 21st, 2016. I had to change a lot of my buddies that I hung out with. I told them my story and that I followed Jesus now. God has been so good to me in so many ways, too many to put down on paper. But I do hope to one day share some of them with you and maybe a bit more detail of my conversion. I read and studied the Bible every day. I pray, I attend church as often as I can in here. And every chance I get, I tell as many people as will listen about Jesus. All this time, I thought Christians were weak. No, they're the strong ones. And while I've had my share of trials, my faith gets stronger whenever they pass. I can't wait to meet you one day so we can sit and talk more about Jesus. I will close for now, and I'm looking forward to your response and correspondence. Thank you for taking the time to read my letter. Your brother in Christ, William. Thank you, Trish. So part of the miracle in this whole story is that... um, is that I read it exactly the time as God had brought this message together and I, I was confident that it was a word from God to us, a testimony. And then when I reached out to Trish, I said, I can't share this without your brother's permission. She said, well, I am just happened to be going there. That was, she was going there, she had an appointment yesterday morning, got to spend an hour and a half with her brother and he was delighted to be able to share the story of what God has done and, has done, and is doing in his life. So how does that apply to us? I don't know if you feel like you're in a prison. I don't know if you feel like you're stuck. I don't know um, what you may be facing. But know that there is a God who is with you and who is for you. And if you will trust him and follow the processes that his word lays out, if you will walk in the way that he has called and you will allow your heart to be broken before him, he can take you from where you are. And you need to trust his timing. But he will bring a blessing to you that is guaranteed. He will give you a confidence that you, you are in him and, and he is in you. And that changes everything. So it's not, again, don't allow yourself to be focused on the external. We have to deal with the external. Please hear me out. But be focused on him. 
as you're focused on him, you're transformed. You become more and more shaped into the image of Christ. And when you're transformed, you are, you are living from a position of victory. You are living moment by moment with the power of God in you, with his presence covering you, and as a proclamation, one who proclaims the goodness of our God. Be glad and rejoice. Our God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for our brother's testimony.